You're listening to the Real Estate Radio Hour, the show that brings you unfiltered stories and insight from the Twin Cities real estate world with your hosts, Chris Rooney, broker at REMAX Preferred, and Andy Presky, leader of the Preferred Home Team at REMAX Advantage Plus. Hello, hello. I need your help, Andy. I can't get this thing to light. It's supposed to be the coolest little flame ever. At least it showed that on the internet. Uh, I'm just curious why you need to have a flame in your office. <laughs> hey, it looked really cool on the internet. I am like Mr. Amazon. And yeah. I buy a lot. He's a kill that, would you? Um, no, that, you spent a little too much time uh, watching Nick in Colorado, and you picked up some bad habits, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, I, you know, I did this for like um, bonfires and stuff because you know how you always try to light something and you gotta that one thing you gotta keep clicking it, and this thing is supposed to have a steady stream. It's supposed to just even light the actual wood on fire. So we'll see. This is gonna be a great home tip someday. If it works, no. that's that's great, Chris. <laughs> Should we talk real estate or something? Yeah, I think uh, I think that'd be a great idea. All right, what should we talk about? How about what, the market? What, video, what video is running behind you, Chris, on the wall? I know that's my little. I had to get a little something behind me working, but it's a. Uh, it's a landscaping kind of architecture thing. So it's almost like a picture that keeps changing. It's like it's like background. It's like background music. I could turn yeah. the music on too if you want it. Let's see. No, I know, but what a cool that what a cool way to have an interactive piece of art in your wherever, changing the themes, yeah. you know what I mean? It'd be kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that people do that in the house listing houses. And it's a, it's just a simple little YouTube channel. Yeah, where they leave that going and kind of have a little background music, but it gives it a little, little something soothing, I guess. Yeah, I know my my brother does that when he has dinner parties because he's too cheap to pay for the internet, so he streams or he or for hey, Andy, cable or whatever. Andy, you know, um, last week's show we talked about if, if Minneapolis is dead or not, and uh, I think we determined that it wasn't dead, right? Yep, I think we're good. Yeah, and so I am listing my last rental property as of tomorrow and, and, and thinking, throwing that thing out. What do you think about a, it's, it's, I want I want you to help me market at this thing. It's okay. a four unit. There, there's four PIDs. Okay. There's four PIDs. Oh. It's an old converted 1875 mansion. It's pretty cool. Converted yep. into four units. And I have a three car garage with like, you could do a carriage house on top of that as well in Minneapolis. And um, I've knocked out, I've, I've kicked out three renters. So there's only one renter. All the units have been kind of all redone. Do you, do you market it as a single family, meaning that you could live in part of this house and rent out a couple of the other spots? Or is it for an investor and there's four units with opportunity to build something over the three-car garage as well? I think what's cool is that you have options, first of all. So you know, my brain immediately goes into why wouldn't you condo that thing out and get the little, you'll get more per unit when you have condos than you will if you sell it as an investment property. That's probably the, the biggest return to you cash. Second, I would say um, when you sell it as an investment property, rents are have all gone up, um, you know, probably, I don't know, I think it's like 13% last year in, in Minneapolis. It was pretty aggressive. Um, and I might be off by a little bit, but I'm real close. Way up. So based on your rent per unit, you can dictate probably a higher sale price than you normally would. I mean, apartment buildings in the Twin Cities are still averaging that 145 to 180,000, depending on if they're brand new or if they're used for existing apartment buildings. But a condominium building where it's a historical building and you have the ability to even use that as I think you've even rented that out before for other events and things like that. So, um, yeah. you know. Yeah, that's it's true. You're you're right. It is a historical uh, building too. So, it, you least know, honestly, least valuable is probably as a single family home. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I agree, and I think uh, 
you know, you're, I think you're right on about the four units, but we've never, I mean, I, I bought that thing in like 2003, I think. And we've never, uh, by the time we got it done and ready and we were going to condo it out and sell it, you know, the market started changing. And so then we, we've just rented it out and never had the association working. Now it's in place, but it's never been uh, used. So I think it would just take a little more work in which to be able to do that. But well, and you know, I, if I were you, I'd partner with a lender too, because the, here's the biggest challenge we have with Lou is that you're going to go in there and you're going to put them up for sale and they're going to say the building's 100% vacant for the first sale. The second sale, oh, it's 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 50% vacant, 75%, you know, as you go along. And then even the last individual, the, the banks are going to go squirrely when they're like, there's 25% vacancy. And it's because there's one unit open, um, you know, but it's it's a uh, interesting, um, you know, financeable project. So you, you I would partner, too, with a lender that understands and helps these people so if they do need to attain financing, um, we can make that easy. And then if it's easy, equals more money for you. Yeah, it's interesting uh, that you should say that because that's what we go through with a lot of our properties. We're always trying to find, you know, the best, highest use for that. But then you have to kind of put in all the other factors in that, like in this situation, and, and it's mine, so I can talk about it, but that you know the association's never really been in place we've never used it so now what do you do do you do you have to uh fill um you know the uh oh my gosh what is it the the reserves i mean do i have to put a certain amount of reserves in there to be able to do it or is it something that you know you sell to someone with the idea that hey this is what you can do later and it's an instant equity for a for a real investor and yeah, so you know it, you're on you're on to something there too because i think People love to buy blue sky, right? They love to know there's an upside to this investment for me. I may run it as a, you know, four bedroom rental right now, but down the road, I could spend the time to convert it. You, you know, let them, you know, have that headache. Let them make that extra, you know, let's say it's even hundred grand or whatever it is on the, on the sale of the building. It would be worth, um, if you don't want to deal with it. And right now with, with the way things are, I think it'd be great to just put it up for sale, sell it you know, figure out what the return, you know, the cap rates are and things like that. And then, you know, kind of the cash um, returns, you know. Yeah. And just so people know that when, you know, when we're doing stuff, we're telling people, I'm actually, we're practicing what we preach as well, because on this, on this unit, I really think it's probably worth around 750. And uh, we're going to go at 699.9, you know, just to try to be able to get people excited, uh, get people fighting over it. You know, you yep. try to get the the 600s to be able to push the 800 people and uh, try to get the most that you possibly can. So uh, we'll, we'll kind of report to, since it's my own, I can kind of give the, all the intricacies because we, we do this every week and we run into stuff and it's, yeah. uh, it's kind of, we, we can't, we can't talk about that stuff, you know, until it's way done or in the, in the future, then we can't, mention what the house is so this could be a real live uh thing that we'll follow and it, you know and it is fun just to follow along because i think that there's as it it, it is an interesting story it to everybody all the time but everybody has a fantasy about buying a place fixing it up putting i mean this is hgtv 101 right flip that house flip that fourplex um you're not exactly flipping and i mean you've been holding it as an investment property for years Hopefully you've you've gotten everything out of it that you want, and then like like we've talked about this, you know, if you're not in that rental mindset, it it's tough, man. It being a landlord is not for everybody, and and it's one of those things where I know at one time you were over 50 properties, and you know, I mean, it was that's a full time full time just collecting rents, fixing leaky toilets, you know, replacing the fridge that doesn't work, and it, it's it's a whole business. Yeah, we yeah, and we did. We had sixty one actually, sixty one units, and uh, that is it's. I mean, Chris, my wife, um, managed them all, and she'll tell you that same thing. That's so why she's she's claimed she's done. She's never doing it ever again. So, but we are gonna we are gonna ten thirty one it down to Florida. So we'll let someone else handle it down there. We don't we owe her a happy birthday too. So my wife Lisa's birthday today. Yours was Sunday Monday. It was Jan um, January 28th. 
So last week, okay, happy birthday. It's Nick's mother. I almost forgot. Yeah. He came in just for that. That's why he was here. It was for her birthday. I missed I missed right the there? uh the invite to the big party, but it's okay. Oh. I'm I'm uh I'm moving on. Uh I feel good about myself. <laughs> I think we were out of town, but I don't know. Maybe we weren't. What? Yeah. My confidence is yeah. coming back. I'm uh Hey, do you see our little our little guy that hides behind the like this look what he Look what he has now. He has microphones and headsets and cameras angling at him. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. That that Nick, that might be the nicest hostel I've ever seen. <laughs> and he just smiles. Yeah, I get a He's whole new setup. So, yeah, that, that means we're going to our next segment when I play the music. Probably not. I'm just, I ain't gonna hold you. I'm gonna keep it real with you. I probably ain't gonna do that. That's funny. The, uh, the clean appraisal. Um, so when you're, when you're buying a property, banks are trying to protect themselves. They're sending out someone that has their best interest in mind, not yours. Uh, meaning that the bank wants to make sure that their risk threshold is met or that they can beat it. And so what ends up happening is, you know, they'll go out there and they may have what they call overlays that are beyond where they're getting the money. So a lot of times people think, hey, we're going to go down to the big bank on the corner. We're going to get a mortgage, um, you know, and, and, and or give them a mortgage on the property we want to buy. They go out there and then all of a sudden the, the consumer, uh, what do you mean that we have to, to fix this uh, leaky whatever or the cracked whatever or the chipping whatever and it comes down to where the bank actually controls um what they call an overlay an overlay is rules that are on top of where they get their money so the big bank at the corner a lot of times is not lending you their money even though you think they are because the statement comes with their name on it they're servicing your account and so what ends up happening is at the end of the day it's the end investor the fannie mae freddie mac or whoever the you know portfolio owner is that has your actual loan is the one that sets the rules for that um, appraiser to use or follow when they're about to lend against. Good lesson. We lost Chris. He's going to restart his computer. So me and you, Andy, are going to take over. I saw him get up in a scramble and there was a, there was a blurry screen. <laughs> I figured he was either being attacked or somebody brought donuts to the house. And then he uh, got excited. <laughs> Can you see us, Mr. Chris? No? <laughs> Hold on. This is like for uh, client gifts, Andy. What do you think about oh, that? Doing it seasonal? One more time. It was so fast. I'm an old man. I can't read that fast. Very cute. I love it. I think a situation where anytime, you know, you have a a client um where you can give them something of value that says hey i care hey thank you uh, hey by the way there's somebody attacking you behind you yeah and it's not a big valuable item because i tell you what real estate agents have to be careful because hey gentlemen um all right buddy we're here yeah i like that. now now he has earbuds on as well so i can't hear anything so this is we're, we're gonna be good here yeah. in just a second so so when you're giving gifts, I think the biggest thing that a lot of real estate agents make the mistake of closing, and then they hand somebody a $200 or whatever gift card, 25 is I think the maximum you're supposed to legally give, but I see agents doing the, the, that other, the other, all the time. Now, a pop, when you read, when she said a pop by, that means stopping by a client that you've already had in the past and giving them something nice to say, hey, I'm thinking about you, have a happy this time of the year. The goal of the real estate agent is just to say, thank you for giving us the business. Remember me when your buddy's talking about buying or selling a house, maybe you think of me now and you you throw my name in the hat for that potential new business. That's the whole idea of his top awareness. A lot of agents don't do it. Most agents have a sale and they don't know how to communicate properly with clients and they lose communication or touch with people. And um, what, what that young lady was doing in that commercial, I thought was fantastic. I think it's a, a very nice way to, Remind people you're in business. 
it's a cute little, you know, remember me. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, gifts are uh, appreciation. I always had a really hard time doing those before, though. A really hard time because it was kind of like, hey, I just sold you a $500,000 house and I got paid, you know, this much and I'm giving yeah. you a $50 gift certificate. And it was just always hard for me. But I, I did realize that it's just showing your appreciation and uh, try to do a little more thoughtful, thoughtful stuff, uh, individual uh, for that person as well. So. Well, think about this, Chris. What you're saying is right on the money. You do this, I'll give you this. That's We're not in the business of trading. We're providing a service. Mm -hmm. If you want to truly give someone a gift, it should be thoughtful. It should be well thought out. It should be nothing to do with the relationship, the transaction, how, you know, it should be all about giving them a, a nice thank you personally to say, hey, thanks for, you know, sticking with it. It's a very challenging market right now. Here's something to just say, I appreciate you. You know, it should not be a, if you buy this house, I'll give you a gift card, you know, because that's what this is about. A very powerful tool when it comes to investing in real estate is leverage. Let me explain. If you've got $200,000 in the stock market, for example, and the price of your portfolio appreciates by 10%, you'll earn yourself a $20,000 cash on cash return. But if you were to invest $200,000 as a down payment on a million dollar home, and that home appreciates by 10%, you'll earn yourself a $100,000 return. And that's because you've utilized the $800,000 of debt that you took on as leverage for a larger return. Boy, do I wish I would have known. Cut the, the video so we don't give away this information. Yeah, I, you know, I, I wish I would have. I, I understood that at an early age, uh, but I didn't really utilize it because I was always afraid of debt. And getting too much debt and the realization is is you have to leverage it someone told me uh something one time it's like bank financing it's it's like it's a tool and it was probably andy because it's an analogy but you know you have to you know when flipping houses you can buy a hammer and and get nails and put in sheetrock and stuff well a loan is the same thing it's 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 a tool it's a tool to be able to uh maybe get more properties and uh leverage what you do have and what I was doing when I was getting into that whole uh, investment property stuff, it was I'd save up all my pennies, get 20, 25% down, pay that and just let it sit there, not do nothing with it. And then mm -hmm. once I had some more money, I'd start maybe fixing it up a little. And then I would save up again and then I'd go buy another one rather than, you know, jumping and grabbing uh, a whole bunch of them. And I just didn't, or, you know, or taking the equity out, moving it to the next one. I think if I could have done it all over again, that's what I would do. And that's what I tell everyone as well. Well, you know, Kristen, you, you bring up a whole of, of thoughts with me with, you know, so, so why do people buy investment properties? You know, sometimes it is the, what they call the cash on cash return where the deposit that's made, they literally take, and then they make a return. So like that individual just told us, you take a hundred thousand, 200,000, you, you buy a million dollar property, goes up a hundred thousand. You've literally made a, uh, you know, a 50% investment return on your investment, cash on cash. Now there's other factors that some people buy it where they don't appreciate. Like a lot of us back in the, in the foreclosure days, those properties were being bought and they actually went down in value. And you're like, Oh my gosh. Well, if it goes down in value, you're not making the appreciation on there, but you still can make money on the cash flow. So if your payment's a thousand, you're bringing in 1400 a month and you're making $400 cash flow a month, or you take a look at, you know, there's a lot of different things with depreciation too. So, you know, when you have depreciation, like that property can be depreciated every year against your current taxes. So you may not be making money off that investment today, but it might be benefiting your tax flow on the other side where you're paying less in taxes. So, you know, there's a lot of benefits to owning properties. And I think it's, it's individual strategy that needs to be employed. It's, Here's another part about we were talking about that property at the very beginning that I'm selling. And when you talk about depreciation, I mean, I've owned it for a long time. You know, I've, I've at, at least I mean, it's, it's got to be coming on 18 years now. Well, I've depreciated a lot of that property. And what happens is that if you sell that property and you this is when they get that tax money back because I've depreciated. So my basis goes lower. So it looks like I'm making a lot more money. And in reality, the, t the tax ramification uh, for me, not 1031 in, down to something into Florida, 
could cl- be close to almost $300,000. That, that's what it would cost me if I sold it. And people think, no, just long-term capital gain. Yeah, it is, but it's on it's on the basis. And so it almost, you know, this whole 1031 thing is it's almost imperative because then in your estate, I mean, it just passes on. And then depending on what your estate is, uh, you know, the tax ramifications won't be uh, as bad. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah, well, that's, I think a lot of people do that and then they hold it right to their grave so that that tax, you know, never hits. It goes into an and if you hit it in a trust at the same time, you know, there's ways that you can pass on investment properties almost, you know, tax-free. But it, it's, it's a, it, you know, uh, I got to be careful that I'm not supposed to give. T- the idea there is that you position yourself and your family for future success. Yeah. And, you know, when we're talking about legal and or tax advice, we're talking about things that maybe we have done ourselves. We're not giving you legal or tax advice. So it's just... Uh, there's things out there but we just can't i mean and that's what it says as an agent that we can't give legal tax advice we have to tell people that but i mean we obviously deal with it every single day and well here's a for instance and that's kind of what yours was but we have to just state that so yep Hmm. So what's what's that one about? Nick? Just a, a tall guy <laughs> making some sort of content. You know, he's a realtor and he's trying to do something funny and get his uh, tone. His Let's watch his content one more time. I was busy looking at him being weird in his face. <laughs> yeah. The disadvantage of being an NBA retired basketball player, being a real estate agent. It, uh... I'm I'm learning about this whole social media thing, Andy, and yeah. uh, and I think it's cool that we're we're doing this because it does teach some old dogs some new tricks. But it's it's about getting views and getting known. And then I mean that kid was silly, but I mean you're you're making uh, assumptions about who he is and and stuff like that, and that's what he wants. He wants that. And, you know, now it's all of a sudden you start watching his videos because he's silly. And then all of a sudden, you know, this guy's getting five to 10,000 views. He's going to use that against you and I, that he can get all these views for their property because he's playing it. And that might. And then he comes to you for a loan to buy a new car because he doesn't have any money. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Uh, The the point is, this guy is trying to make content (laughs) with what he has. He's trying to post daily. And this is a funny idea. And. He, he threw it out there. <laughs> let me let me agree with you for a second, Nick. I'm I'm being a smart ass. I get it, but the idea I get it. It it is when you have an audience of people, friends, family. You know your let's call it your sphere of influence, right? The people that you know. Um, they don't always want to get real estate stuff jammed at them. That's not entertaining. So that's light and fluffy, keeps you top of mind. So the person that may not be thinking of selling or buying a house, they kind of giggle and they go, "Oh, that's right. Yeah, Billy does." You know what I mean? Or, or, oh, that I can see he's a tall dude. You know, I can see that'd be a problem. It's just, it's staying in front of their memory. So they, if they do need you or they do have somebody that thinks of real estate, you're right there. Most people work with someone that they enjoy or like. And now all of a sudden he has to turn around and be a, a, a good realtor as well. But by, someone that you can appeal with and oh my oh that's kind of cute that's kind of funny and then all of a sudden you start seeing them you know selling houses then you're like well geez maybe i will use him so yeah. who knows how about this new camera angle andy it's just kind of like a new it's a it's a new look i'm kind of looking off into the lake like i'm off to the distance Dabbing. yeah i know i know exactly where you're sitting i love your house you have a great <laughs> yeah, spot yeah that's my house <laughs> it is and then you if you take a look to the left you're looking at a little bridge going out to an island that's out in front of your place or peninsula. There's a lot of cars that are whipping by really fast. Out on the lake? I got a camera here that we can do anything now. Oh, yeah. Look at that. I don't see. There was a truck that just went flying by. All right. Next.
like the music. <laughs> Andy, that's kind of it's it's kind of a big problem. I mean, when you're when you're showing buyers and getting them all excited, and I mean that and that's our job to get them excited mm-hmm. and show them the the benefits of, of that house. But in a market like now, it's almost like you kind of gotta, you know, hey, it's great, but I mean, we still have to get it. And you kind of kind of you gotta temper them all the time. And yeah. that's a it's a tough thing because that's exactly what you want a buyer to do. Right. Is is what happens right, right. there. But we had I had um, two different listings go on last week, and both were very popular. Um, both had um, double digit offers on them, and it's just mm-hmm. it's really sad to see. I mean, these people losing, and and I know it because I've I've felt that with my clients too. And they did mm-hmm. just really good stuff, and their offer was really good, but it just wasn't as good as the other one. And mm-hmm. it's just and. And the torment from realtors, and here's another, and I don't know if you've got this, it'll be interesting to know, but almost every agent asked me how many offers there were. And I don't usually get that ever. And then the other thing was, is that they also want to know what, why they lost and what was it that we didn't like about their offer? Well, they, they all took the training class, right? On uh, how to improve your offers. Ask, why did we not get accepted? Who beat us? Why did they beat us? And they're using that information to go back and coach their buyer. And, and here's the reality of it. There's a lot of people out there, Chris, that I don't think you can coach. I think they're going to get what they want to get at the price they want to get it or they're not going to do it. So you as a real estate agent also have to identify if you got a time waster on your hands. Because in today's market, if that round you know, peg doesn't fit into that square hole, why do you keep trying to make it work? And I think a lot of agents are getting fatigued on trying to get these. If you've got a Wheeler dealer, this is not your market. You know, the market for the Wheeler dealers. There's no Wheeler dealer happening anywhere. And anybody that's a Wheeler dealer, um, you know, somebody that's looking for that discount or that exceptional price, you're going to have to dig it out of the ground yourself. You're going to have to literally go out there, send letters to the person that maybe doesn't know enough about real estate to know what's going on in the world. And then you as a consumer are buying that directly. With a real estate agent where somebody's been coached, somebody's staged their house, they prepared that house for sale, they know exactly what it's worth. The problem you're running into, and this will continue this year, it's the competitiveness of the buyers and the lack of that's making people make silly offers. Your house didn't appreciate last year, ladies and gentlemen, 17%. It didn't. The offers were crazy last year. And so those offers, the few of them that were in your neighborhood, there were 50,000. I, I just did a CMA for a guy in South Minneapolis right after our show last week. And every every house had between sixty and seventy thousand dollars over list price for their sale prices, and now the sad thing is, is all the neighbors are like, "Well, that's what they're worth." <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. You have to have a really, you have to have a beat on the market, mm-hmm. and if and if you don't have a beat on the market, you really don't know what's what's going on because there's. Uh, some people that you have to realize as a buyer that you're you're jumping into uh, a price category that maybe that this the people that you're competing with have yeah. lost out five six seven times mm-hmm. and now all of a sudden they're going to say you know what it's no more it's not mm-hmm. happening and then they do something just kind of crazy and and it's like it's almost like perfect I mean we ended up having two perfect um, offers in the end where everything was covered. From right. you know their financing was perfect, their inspection status, their mm-hmm. con- no contingencies, all appraisal gaps. I mean, just zero problems. Just we're going to go to closing, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, but think think about this, Chris. This is going to happen here in the I would say you know, twelve to eighteen months, where people are not going to see a house that's listed. They're not going to offer that crazy seventy thousand dollars over. They're going to offer what it's worth. Because you've already seen those crazy. The quicker they fall, the quicker they fall, right? The quicker they rise, the quicker they fall. So in today's market, I think when the market stops with the crazy, the the you know there's 13 people bidding on the same house. Now there's two. They're not going to offer 50,000 over because they don't have to. And so what's going to happen is it's going to look artificially like the market's actually softening or that prices are coming down when it's really not the case. It's just they're going back to where they should have been at the percent price increase as they normally are, and they're going to adjust back down. Is what'll happen. The the other thing is though it's never it's not going to change until inventory changes. Correct. Inventory is is the reason that it's here. I mean they're coming on and it's like we got to get one now 
And then, mm-hmm. you know, some people are quitting. We had some people offers and then all of a sudden they saw this one online. They were saying, I'm just going to wait it out. And then all of a sudden they see one online and then they get back into it. And they just torture themselves all over again. Yeah. <laughs> it's well, just kind of. You're right, Chris. And they, you know, there are people that time in my life, I have the resources and the ability to do whatever I want to do. So I'm going to do it. And so they don't want to wait. They don't want to wait for 10 years for the market or five years for the market to change to where they feel comfortable. It's like sometimes it's okay being uncomfortable. I'm with you, buddy. I heard the music, so I'm I'm zipping it. Front row. All right. Buyer, stop doing this. I think we've got uh, an interesting thing um, that is happening with offers right now and talking about different ways in which to be able to um, almost help these buyers out in what they're, what, what they're making mistakes. And I don't even, it's not just always buyers making those mistakes. I think it's buyers agents as well. Mm-hmm. So I know we kind of um, did a few of them, but let's just, uh, let's just talk about them. And yep. it is guessing what the price might be. So that's, I think that's a huge thing. I, I see that a lot with buyers and thinking, okay, well, this one's listed at 389.9. And I think, you know, that we saw a bunch of people there. I'm thinking that someone else is going to go 419. And I, I'm telling you, when you start doing that and trying to guess what other people are doing to be able to make your offer as part of that, I think it's it's a surefire way of, of, of losing. I think what you need to do, I mean, and now this is if you want the property and you want it bad enough, you need to go in and pay what you will pay and, and kind of playing the game of the old um, escalation clauses. In my opinion, I mean, it works. It does work sometimes. It just depends what else is out there, but I'm telling you, most of the sellers look at, Hey, this person stepped forward the, the best, and this is what they are. Unless it was it's something just crazy. And the escalation clause is real. And what an escalation clause is for people that don't know is that people will come in and say, in that instance, the 389.9 deal, they'll come in and say, we'll pay you 400,000, but we'll pay you 1,000, 2,000, 5,000 more than any other offer to a maximum of 425,000. So if someone gave you, if it's a 5,000 escalation clause and someone was at 422, well, they would go to 425. So they would go up to 425, not 428 kind of a thing. And so, uh, and, and, and you can do that, but I think sometimes sellers would rather go back to the other person and say, you know what, maybe you, you give me $5,000. You guys came in the strongest and we, we want to be able to go back with you. So what do you think of that, Andy? I think that, you know, again, it comes down to where, you know, it's the difference between working with a cash buyer and somebody that's financed. Okay. Cash buyer if they got enough money, they can do whatever they want because they make the rules. Those with the gold usually make the rules, right? On the other hand, when you have somebody that's financed, they have their hands tied on a few things like price, appraisal, um, cash on hand, um, you know, or things like that. You know, repairs that they want to take on themselves. The bank not may allow, you know, allow that. But it comes down to being realistic. And I, th- I think that here's the thing. All the people that I see out there that meet a real estate agent off of an internet app, shame on you. You're not ready to be looking at houses. You think you are because you think you're smarter than the system. You think you're smarter than the agents. And so you're going out there and you're looking at houses yourself. You're trying to get, you're trying to educate yourself, which I understand. You're trying to educate yourself on what is the best way. I would start with interviewing agents first and say, hey, listen, what are you doing in today's market to help people like myself win getting houses? You know, how do you position me with my lender? How do you position me with an inspector? How do we attack this market and win? And then, you know, and, and do we do it? How, how do we do this, right? I would make a strategy. I'd hire a specialist war. I wouldn't just head into war and hope I got enough ammo and the right stuff. I'd want to go to war, which I, I would say, I shouldn't say war. Maybe let's say um, you, you want to go to the picnic with a nice basket, right? And and make sure you've thought of everything. So, you know, the the other way to, st- it, it, I, I like war because it's kind of- Uh, you don't, you don't 
totally creep me out, you guys, but you do. Um, no, so you know what I'm saying? So it's like you go, you go to that picnic, you want to be prepared. Having somebody spend five seconds to look in that basket, make sure you've got everything, so you have a wonderful experience. Just like somebody like myself, I love to use travel agents. A lot of people are like, oh, you can go on the internet. I, I, I still remember, I've told you this story a million times. We were all sitting around the pool. We all went on the same trip. We all stayed at the same hotel. We all, half of us went through a travel agent. We all had gold bracelets. We're drinking top shelf alcohol, had the best restaurants, whatever. Less, $50 less. Not only did they not have the gold bracelets, they had the like silver bracelets. They didn't get the best liquors. They didn't get the best restaurants. They didn't even know that was a, there's a reserved VIP area on the beach where you, you got your own chairs. Um, and oh, and then we got free shuttles from the airport to the hotel and they didn't. So by the time it was all said and done, they didn't get a better experience. They just felt they controlled the experience. Sometimes controlling is not always the best option. Sometimes you do want to have somebody that knows what the heck they're doing tell you, hey, you get to this city, you need to watch out for this, you need to look for that, and this is what's going to benefit you. I've been to this resort. This is what I recommend. Worth every penny. Every penny they charge you. Not coming with your best foot forward, um, not being flexible from a buyer standpoint. And I think that goes into if someone was to, you know, go in and say, you know, the seller is wishing that they can close the end of March and you go put the end of April or you put, you know, the beginning of March. You have to be very flexible from a buyer standpoint. It, it, it matters. It matters to try to fulfill everything you possibly can for that seller to make it best for you. And so sometimes you might have uh, a lease that goes to a certain time. You almost have to kind of forget about that lease <laughs> and, and start shopping and use that lease to your advantage and offer the people, hey, we'll do the end of March, but we don't even need possession until April 15th because we have a lease in place and take your time moving out. There's no problem with that. I mean, there's, there's a lot of those things that factor in to sellers. What, I mean, for a seller, it's so stressful for them to move out and be able to get it cleaned up. To be able to give them some time in which to be able to move out is a big thing for a lot of people. Think about what you're saying, Chris. Your strategy, you're using psychology, you're guiding someone, you're telling them what's important, and it's more than just price on an offer, guys. It, it's And I don't know we all get hung up on that. It's the experience. It's the, are you allowing them to have, they may give you a better discount or let you not have to pay a crazy premium if you give them the ability to stay in the property longer. Maybe they're building a new house. Maybe they have little ones. Maybe they have an elderly adult living with them, whatever it is, and they, they can't afford to move several times. So I, I don't know, Chris, I tell you, you, you an agent. I think people should call you and hire you. You're not supposed to laugh. That was so nice of you. That is nice to you. How about, you know, buyers thinking that, oh, it's just an inspection. Well, we're doing everything else they want. I think any contingency that you do as a buyer is a problem. It's a problem or it could be a problem. Now, you don't know that on every single deal, but I, I've seen that so many times. And there's so many options to doing an inspection on a home, which I don't I don't recommend that you don't do it. But here, here's the facts. I mean... I've sold quite a few houses. Andy's sold quite a few. And I mean, when in the end, when it comes down to the inspection items, you're really talking maybe $1,000 to $3,000, unless something's completely crazy. Well, now maybe think of it this way. Hey, I'm not able to get an inspection in. It's going to cost me 1000 to three. Okay, I understand that. And why don't I add a warranty on top of it? Not only the warranty helps me as a buyer if some of those mechanical things break down. But the other thing is, is that it's going to help the seller. And it's going to help the seller know that, you know what, they bought their own warranty. They're not going to come after me in the end. And that's a big thing. Selling it's one thing, keeping people away from you is another thing. Also, I got really big on the camera. Sorry about that. Um, I agree. Yeah, right. I agree. Oh! <laughs> What, what just happened? I'm gonna I'm gonna switch my. Um, I think he's trying to he's trying to get me out of the picture. But you you look better, so. There we go. Okay. Um. No, I was gonna say. So, Chris, while you guys were busy uh, playing around here, I, I pulled out some stats. So, th think about this. 
So last year, you guys, okay, I got not up close with the glasses. Those are only for reading. Um, <laughs> I have to squint. You guys are jerks. Um, the average average number of offers in 2020 was three. Okay. 2021, by the end of 2021, the average listing had five offers writing on it. You you should expect minimum of five. So you're not you're dealing with a little bit of everything. Um, 54% of offers last year were above asking price. That's crazy. Okay. This is net. This is nationally, by the way. Um, the, uh, the average home buying process this year, um, the average, um, person spent 96 days looking for a home. Average number of homes toured was 14, but I didn't, I didn't get the stat on how many offers they wrote before they got one to stick, but I'm assuming, you know, if you're looking at houses and touring houses, look at you like because there's not many for sale so that that's probably interesting and then the the average median price nationally is up to three hundred fifty thousand. um that's 23 percent up so those people that were up were really up you know like that uh neighborhood i was telling you about over in south minneapolis it laid flat two years ago and then all of a sudden last year they started jumping up again i mean people love those cool little walk across the street and you got a coffee shop kind of areas and they love that stuff, and it's and it will always be in demand. All right, so now agents, I think, uh, are culpable here as well. Uh, number one, I think what agents can't do is you can't sugarcoat reality. And, and sometimes what agents will do is obviously try to do whatever that buyer wants because they want that buyer to work for them. But in the end, what they're really doing is that they're stopping them and they're helping them lose offers. I, I've heard it so many times that, uh, oh, hey, Chris, here's our offer, but you know, it's their first offer. They just got to learn a little and, and lose. And I don't know. I guess I've never gone into an offer thinking that. I never want to yeah, no lose. Shit. I always want to no be shit. able to do the best thing. But I think it's, it's, it's taking the time to sit down with these buyers and explain yeah. exactly what's happening. Show them from a, from a listing agent perspective. I mean, we review all of our stuff. And so I have all these reviews and I show people, hey, here's what's happening with offers. Here's what people are doing. Here's what, this is why they're losing. You, you have to look at these things and find out and why a seller would navigate towards that. So now, then we got to figure out our best way. Now there's sometimes, it's just like selling a house. Sometimes our house backs up to a, a highway. Well, there's nothing we can do about that. But we can we can handle the 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 dated carpet and the stains on the the blinds and the three window panes that are are fogged up. We can we can take care of that. And so then that's the same with the buyer. You know, we can't we only have so much money, but maybe there's different things we can do. Maybe we can give them a longer possession time. Maybe we can make them feel comfortable. Maybe we can pay for their mover. We could do a lot of different things that might um, excite a seller, but yeah. agents are the ones that have to let people know that this is the way it is. And here's what's happening. Well, you know, if an agent approached me with, with saying, first thing I would say is, okay, can I give you a couple quick lessons on helping your clients? First of all, first thing you have to absolutely do is establish credibility with your, with your client. Okay. So what are you doing to help them prepare for writing an offer? Are you just saying, Hey, it's a tough market and let's cross our fingers and hope we get one to stick. Are you spending the time to say, hey, this zip code, here's the average days on market. Here's the average offer. Here's the average offer over asking price. We're seeing that these, um, I've called a few of the agents in the neighborhood, and they were saying that inspections were not being waived, so you're good. Or are they being waived? I mean, it's your job as an agent to spend the time to help that client understand the market they're entering. Otherwise, you're no good. Then they're going to go back to the apps, right? So it's like, what value do you add to that client to help them make that decision? Write that first off your first offer. So Chris, I'm a, I'm a hunting guide. I'm behind me here. We're going, we're going to go hunting for whatever you want to go hunting for. And is it my job to say, well, you're going to miss the first shot anyway. So we'll just, you know, wing it. And that trophy, whatever walks by and you just wing it. Come on. You're out there hunting, man. You want a deal. You want a house. It's my job to say, Hey, listen, you have to be prepared. The second we walk out here to not even be around the first, tree behind us and that trophy might be standing there we gotta we gotta get it you know andy you know andy i know you're I know. that was so right i have i had to ask nick to do this 
But I'm telling you, those things are so important because you put it in layman's terms. And that's how you got it. And that is how ridiculous it is. Exactly what you just said is it's it's ridiculous that you're just going out there to fail. You shouldn't be yeah. going out there to fail. You, we're always out there to make it the best we can. And I think that's laziness from a realtor. I was going to say, if your agent, if you're, if you're a consumer listening and you have an agent that's doing that for you, they're not, yeah. they're not worth the time. They're not doing what they need to do to get you a deal. Hallelujah. All right. And not being creative. I think we've talked a lot about those little pieces um, and not being creative are the things that we just said about giving them a little longer time to be in the house, maybe paying for their moving, maybe not doing an inspection and, and grabbing a warranty. People are starting yep. to do that. I also see uh, people have been adding uh, closing costs uh, for the seller and saying, hey, we'll take care of you know this much in your closing costs. Just trying to be a little different and stand out. The one thing I did not see in all these offers and we had um, together, there was over 30 of them. And uh, of the 30, not one person was willing to make their earnest money uh, non-refundable. And I think that's a real way of telling someone, hey, we're going to close. And because everyone's heard the stories where people are backing out. And I just think it's even if you're doing it on like with with an appraisal or not an appraisal, but, uh, well, yeah, an appraisal and an inspection. You know what? It's guaranteed no matter what. I want to do the inspection. It really means a lot to me because I, I really just don't want something huge to happen. I'm willing to invest 5000 in that if I'm wrong. Or if it doesn't work for me, then you're going to get five thousand, and that that's good for a week because you can just put it back on the market. Why not do that? I mean, if you're real, if you're serious and you're real, I mean that might be a great way in which to be able to be like that'd be the first time I'd ever go to a seller and say that. Here's what my buyer is willing to do. I mean, I, I would be I would be dumbfounded, and I would want to work with that person. And so now all of a sudden I'm going back to that person. You know what? You're twenty thousand less, but I really like the fact that you're five thousand. Can you come up to this price for me? At least you're in the game. Then you can decide at that point. There you go. Because it, you, if you're in the bank, it's not real money anyway, right? It, it's all just fluffy stuff. And, and until you're ready and you have somebody that actually says, hey, here's real deal money. And here's, you know, even cash offers. It's funny to say that over the years, even as a real estate agent, I've learned that cash doesn't mean anything either. Cash used to be very powerful when you couldn't get banks to comply with the buyer's you know requests on a, on a from a seller you know like hey i want to do this or this and they wouldn't let you do it so cash became powerful nowadays you know cash it's more of a headache i actually i actually you know and yes it is nice but most people with cash want to be a pain in the ass most people with cash you know have extra things that you don't need to deal with and you know or they expect more or and, and at the end of the day if you're a seller and if you do your homework correctly with your agent and you go to closing, you're going to get net, net more from somebody that finances, usually, right? Anyway. Yeah, totally, Andy. You're, I mean, it's, it, it's just a, it's a real interesting thing. I think the last thing agents really need to know, and maybe you have a couple more, Andy, but it's not their decision. <laughs> and, and realize that it's not, it's not what you think. Mr. Agent, Mrs. Agent, mm -hmm. it's what your buyer wants. And you've got to give them to give them the information to make their own decision. And I've heard buyers or agents say, you know what? Oh my gosh, that's way too much money. You shouldn't do that. You know, you do um, no, you can't do that. That's not your decision. You give them the information and say, what? You know, you're overpaying for this, but you know, what is it worth to you to not to lose out on 10 more deals and not get into a house and then the interest rates go up and you know, it's your decision what you want to do. It's our job to give them that information and tell them you know, what they might be doing is overpaying for it at this time. But what if you would have said that in 2019, Andy? Oh my gosh, you're overpaying for it. Well, your your little friends and your buyers probably just made about seventy five thousand dollars because they overpaid for something in 2019 because that's what the house is worth today. So it's not your decision. Yeah, right. You know, I have these. Um, you know, price points where people think like, I've got to get every penny back. And and then I look at the high, high end um, markets where you see like these, I don't know if you ever, Chris, have you ever gotten stuck on these videos where they, okay, we're going to sneak into this $30 million abandoned mansion and, and 
you seen any of those videos? Uh, I, I've seen them. I saw one yeah. uh, up in Pine Pine Island or something. Yeah. I tell you what. Once you get on that rabbit hole, oh my gosh, you get you go down. down. There's so many videos where there are wealthy individuals that buy an island in Canada or wherever, and they'll build a thirty million dollar cost um, estate, pay cash for it. There's no mortgage, and they abandon it because they they just get tired of maintaining it and taking care of it. And eventually, it ends up selling for you know three four million bucks. And and then somebody else comes in and they realize, oh my god, the taxes are you know or whatever it is. And it's crazy, but it's these um they're out there so what i'm saying is like different price points too you know you don't buy that house or you don't spend that kind of investment thinking that this is going to be a big return on investment if you got that kind of money you're making your money everywhere else the house isn't necessarily where you're going to make your money when you're in the the bottom of the investment arena housing helps is a majority of most people in america's wealth but it's it gets to that kind of it's a kind of an interesting area where i say up to about 750. You get over 750, now you're into an elite market where you may not get the same returns. You may not get the same amount of money back. You're not protected by any tax shelters. You're not, you know, so it gets to a, a different area, you know. So anyway. Yeah, and, it, and it, it is true. I mean, sometimes, you know, housing can be for something for comfort and where you want your family to be. And it doesn't have to always be about how much money you're going to make when you turn around. And stuff. Right, right. Yep. So. Yep, agreed. All right, there's uh, some talk about uh, seniors not moving. Is that true, Andy? What are they doing? It's clogging up the system. Damn houses and sell them. No, just kidding. I I'm joking, but I tell you what. Here's the thing. You, I have so many people that I meet. You know, hey, I'd like to sell my place, and they're they're looking for the big windfall. And you tell them what it is, they're like, wow, that's amazing. And then you take them out and you say, here's what it costs to buy a detached townhouse. And it's almost as much as the 30 acres that they're selling. And you're like, the numbers are way off. And so most people are just like, I'm not going to give away this when it's worth in the in the real world. You know, 30 acres is worth more than a, a, a townhouse that's detached inside of a housing development. You can produce income with 30 acres. Livestock with 30 acres. You can snowmobile. You can do whatever you want with 30 acres, for an example. And then now you go to a detached townhouse where there's rules and high taxes and high maintenance fees and you can't do anything and you can't put up Christmas decorations because God forbid the association didn't approve them. And, and I think there's a lot of people going like, eh, I'm just going to modify and remodel the house that I'm in. I'm going to stay here, let my kids inherit my, you know, $700,000 house. And I'm not going to go spend five fifty dollars or 600000 on a detached slab on grade, you know, re quote, retirement house. It's not worth it. I just, I don't know, or condos, same thing. Condos are so cool, but they're the expensive. It's a lifestyle. It's a, it's a different, it's a, it's a lifestyle. And I'll tell you what, I don't know if I can add much more to that because I think it was right on and that's exactly what they're thinking and that's what they're doing. And it, it just, but it, it'll get to a point where you can't handle it anymore. You know, I, I mean, our, Correct. our parents and, um, you know, their friends and, and stuff like that. It, it just gets to a point that you, you can't, you got to be around people. Um, you can't maintain anything anymore yeah. and it's just too much work. Then you got to go to that. So it's kind of like, wh when does that happen? Oh, well, you hopefully you and I are still in the business, but I think that is going to happen where it starts inheriting our parents' houses, you know, and we're Gen Xers and we start inheriting their houses and they're going to sell. We're not going to retain them. We're not going to hold them. Most people, like I, I even, I, I remember back to our, when we were doing the CCO deal and we had um, people that would call in that were trying to have their kids inherit their cabin. And then they, they would go so as far as to not only give the kids the cabin, um, try to set up like a trust to help pay for the cabin and the kids still couldn't pay for the taxes. And it's like, you know, it gets to a point where you have to just be realistic with your situation. I mean, you may have children that don't have the capacity to earn enough to support what you supported, you know, cause maybe you worked a different job or you had a different pay scale or you had whatever. Right. Um, and, and they didn't, or they don't, or they don't care. And so the problem that you run into is that the generation that's holding all the gold right now is getting older. Like you said, eventually they're going to have to release it because they're not, like you said, they can't control it. They can't maintain it. Or, you know, um, the old uh, power of attorney comes into play because you're not making good decisions and your kids kind of, take it from you, you know, and then help you guide you to what you do. 
And that uh, that'll that's when the market will. I, I, I'm projecting that in the next five to ten years here, we're going to start seeing a lot of that happening. Where, like you just said, Chris, the description you gave, the houses they can't hold them anymore, and they're going to start hitting the marketplace. Um, you know, and you might you might see some good deals. Yeah, that's true. Okay, uh, a question. It, it says, uh, let's get it back here. What's with all these sellers painting an entire house gray, then putting down vinyl plank floor, calling a remodel, then charging 120000 more than they paid for it? <laughs> what? That seems, that's someone sounds a little bitter there. Uh, the market is what the market is, and the market is what the market brings. And the fact is, is that a lot of people aren't able to visualize. Plain, simple fact. And uh, if you can help them visualize and put it into place, you're going to make money in which to do it. But gray is definitely the color, but it's kind of switching. There's some yep. switching going on. Yep. That's the old, uh, what do we used to say back in the day? Put still a pig. And, uh, you know, if the remodel doesn't go very deep and it's just cosmetic, you got to look at it and say, listen, guys, what's below the floor? Was a subfloor gross? Did it need to be replaced? Was there issues with moisture? Is there, you know, there's so many things that scare me away from buying the half-ass remodel job and that's what i call them because that's what what this consumer or whoever sent that uh reply in what they're they're right on the money i mean these are half baked they're basically it's a pig's a pig the house may have bigger issues bad windows bad furnace bad roof but you walk in pretty let's take it and people fight over it and it's like it's the but the big expenses are on their way so I think that's, again, why new construction saying so hot right now, because you don't have those big expenses for many, 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 many years. Well, that's why they're justifying them now. They're justifying it and saying, you know what? Yeah, we are going to pay a hundred, hundred fifty thousand more to build, but I, it's done. I don't have a problem. Interest rates have okay. got that payment to be about 300, 300 bucks a month. I'm willing yep. to do that. You know, it's 3,600 a year. That's a lot of, rep that's a lot of repairs. Uh, that's, or not a lot of money towards repairs. If you go into a, right. a normal house and your repairs are under five to ten thousand a year, you're pretty dang lucky. Remember, remember that old analogy we had where you know you got new construction and existing, and then the existing houses are less money, and the new construction's more money. So the cost is higher on the front end, but the cost to actually hold that house flip flops because new construction has almost no expenses. Everything's under warranty. You're getting the best years of life because everything's brand new. Versus buying an existing house, you, yeah, you paid less, but now they're going to nickel and it's like buying a used car. Now you're going to, well, muffler went bad, tranny went bad, need to replace this in the steering column. Need to do, yep, you bought the car for less, but now it needs all those repairs versus buying new, taking the best years out of it, and then, you know, flipping it to another new. Hallelujah. It's, 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 very, it's very true. And, you know, I was always one that was, like, against the new construction stuff, but I remember you – you were you've always been a new construction guy and always yeah. sold it and always been very intimately involved with it and we used to fight about that on the radio and i would you know stick up for existing and and i i totally get it now because it it does make sense and especially with where the interest rates are now yeah and if you really well, look I'm at just, it logically Chris, i'm just trying to support a local economy and employ all the local people to build the houses you know my thing understood Understood. I tell him you'll be in your sprinter next time. Oh, no, I don't. Yeah, Andy, guess where I'm going on Monday? Uh, heard a sprinter. El Elkhart, Indiana, baby. And I'm gonna have my okay. sprinter. My next broadcast is coming from my sprinter. Well, well, explain yourself, sir. Well, it's a sprinter. You know. I don't know what a you'll sprinter is. You'll have to wait till next week. Maybe I'm not in the RV world, Chris. I'm assuming it's an RV. Google it. It's more of a it's more of a traveling office, is what it is. So you're gonna drive around a van and look like a creep. Yeah, I have I have ice cream. Uh, and why, so why are you sitting in the park? I'm uh, working on the internet in my van. <laughs> hey, I think I'm gonna do it live from different areas, like Champlin, yeah. the Champlin Buffalo Wild Wings. I'm gonna do it from there. Out in the parking we, we lot. Can do, we can do live broadcasts. I'm okay with that. If you know, is that where Lisa's having her birthday ways. party today? We're gonna have a birthday party tonight. Yeah. At the B Dubs. Yes. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> All right, guys. Don't forget, you can leave a review on iTunes and now Spotify. Give us a like. Like the Facebook page. We post three clips weekly. 
short, digestible. Um, I'll be in Poland next week, and we'll all be in different parts of the world. So Poland? You should go see yeah. my relatives. Yeah, where? Where are they from, Andy? Minsk. Oh, that's Belarus. Yeah. Yeah, it's switch. Okay. They kind of move the Polish border around a little bit. Sometimes yeah. we're Russian. Sometimes we're Polish. Sometimes we're Belarus. Sometimes yeah, I plan on visiting that city when the, the, the crisis isn't over, so if I can get in there. I mean, I'm right next to That'd the, the border crisis. Yeah. You're going Hi, on a trip I'd like to do something. See you guys. You can meet me up there, Andy. No? <laughs>